1: It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Rev. Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Rev. Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. This is the uh, second show for the new year, 2024. Um, to start off kick off the new year. Um, last week, we um, announced that we were going to be doing another series on a book that I wrote back way back in 2003 called uh, God's Got a Problem on His Hands, and um, exploring basically the theology of the uh, American church and um, whether the theology of the American church is uh, in alignment with what Scripture teaches. And um, so this book was not a very long book. It was short. It was 136 pages. But um, just to give you a few samples of what um, the chapter titles are like, uh, chapter one is Ask a Question, How Deep is His Love? Um, talking about the Father's love for his children. Um, The five R's of the Bible, Um, I won't get into that because we've pretty much taught on that before, that the whole Bible can be um, explained with the use of uh, five words, all beginning with the same letter, the letter R, and that they should be taught in a circle. Um, Those are earlier Bible uh, explanation shows. And then uh, the blueprint and plan for man. Uh, Next chapter is called, What is the Problem that God Has on His Hands? Uh, Chapter 5 asks the question uh, whether heaven is the target of uh, our Judeo-Christian salvation. Chapter 6, Targets and Trophies. Um, We are God's trophies, and simultaneously we happen to be Satan's targets. Uh, The Solution is the next chapter, and then Chapter 8 is to Know and Obey. Chapter 9, grace, faith, and works, whether they are linked or whether they're mutually exclusive. Chapter 10 is obeying God, uh, legalism. Uh, Chapter 11, just how and why do we obey God. Uh, Chapter 12 is God judging our country. Uh, Chapter 13, talking about the three views of the Uh, Rapture or uh, ascension of the saints, uh, asking a question Do we fly away or do we persevere? And basically exploring all three uh, different versions of what uh, Christians believe about the end times. And then the last is a summary and a synopsis of the whole book. And it's called The Whole Point with a W, W H O L E. So last week, We talked about um, answering a question, just why did the Father send Jesus to the earth? And I started out with asking three questions, what are we saved from, what are we saved to, and what are we saved for? And I think those are questions that need to be asked because, um, obviously, we did some exploration last week about uh, exactly what do most Christians, or what are most Christians taught about what salvation is, and we discussed that. I'm not going to go into that again, but I uh, encourage you to go on the um, KPRZ uh, podcast, and it's there from last week. Listen to it. It's, it's, It's a good show. Um, i don 't want to spend a lot of time uh, reviewing it um, it 's available and um, so but I do want to just say one thing the one of the things that we did uh answer was why did Jesus come to earth that has to do with the salvation question i mean if he 's coming to save us and what 's he saving us from what's he, what is he saving us to and what 's he saving us for well one of the uh, the answers uh were contained in the last uh, four verses of Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and I asked, count how many times the word reconcile shows up in those verses, because I think it encapsulates one of the purposes for which Jesus came to earth to save us, uh, and what does you know salvation mean. And in that context, I challenged people to count how many times reconcile between God's errant children and himself to reestablish a relationship that mankind originally had with the Father back in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And, um, and what does reconciliation mean when we're talking about us getting back together with the Father and how that's accomplished? So I encourage you to listen to last week's show, Um, So this week, we're going to be talking about answering the question, is uh, the initial salvation experience that believers encounter, is it more like a uh, scholarship or is it more like a diploma? And we talked last week about the common belief is that if you ask most people, um, what's their definition of salvation? And they would usually say, "Well, it means that Jesus came to Earth to save me, so that when I physically die, I uh, get to go to heaven and join him there in heaven." And we kind of looked at the Bible thoroughly last week and concluded that that um, verse, or that, or some verses, or any verses that would support that idea, um, at least for my exploration for the last 25 years, um, they're not there. They don't exist. Yet that's the, a common belief, whether it doesn't matter whether you were raised Catholic or whether you were raised Protestant. That's what we were taught. And uh, basically, in one of my um, books that I wrote, um, it's called The Blueprint. And it asks whether Bible design, God's Bible design is straight-line Greek linear thinking, uh, Western thinking, how Westerners operate, how they are taught to uh, rationalize, analyze, synthesize, uh, criticize, everything's linear, and compare that to Middle Eastern uh, Jewish patterns of thought, which are not linear in design. And so you can get that uh, book. It's called The Blueprint. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on my website. But it, I think it's a book that everyone should um, really take a serious look at because it's not um, a trite question. It's not, oh, gee, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin type of question. It's a practical down-to-earth, pragmatic question that we have to ask ourselves, especially in these times. Um, Because I think God is um, pulling back the curtain, so to speak, and dealing with a lot of uh, church tradition um, that really isn't scripturally based. It's not Bible-based. And we have to have Bible for what we believe, because what we believe— Um, gets expressed in how we conduct ourselves. So it's not a trite, um, insignificant inquiry or or query. It's not. It's an important question. And so I don't want to go into that because I have earlier shows that um, describe um, that. What I want to ask today is, what did Paul think? Because he wrote, a whole lot of epistles and they were addressed mostly to gentiles but in some cases uh some of the epistles which paul wrote were addressed to mixed communities of both jew and gentile and um he was after he was initially saved he got involved very much into um how to bring this good news message of the kingdom of God, of Jesus Christ, to which group? And he was um, rejected by uh, his Jewish counterparts, even though he was a rabbi. Uh, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He studied under the um, acclaimed uh, Rabbi Gimelial. Um He grew up in a Gentile Greek-like community uh, as a boy, but he was raised Jewish, And so he was a really well-qualified candidate to go out and try to blend in these two different world perspectives of the Greek-slash-Roman-slash-Western way of looking at the world contrasted with the Middle Eastern circular cyclical way of looking at the world. And the reason that matters um, is because... We've discussed this in the past. The Bible isn't a Greek Roman book. I mean, when you study a book, studying any kind of literature, you have to uh, identify the context of the book, and oftentimes the way you do that is you find out who wrote it, why did they write it, and culturally. Who were the authors that wrote that particular book? Well, again, we brought, talked about this in past shows as well. Uh, there are 66 books to the Holy Scripture, to the Bible, with uh, a total of 40 authors. And uh, by most accounts, at least at least 39 of the 40 authors um, were Hebrews, were Jews. Well, that makes a big impact on um, the way the book is to be read and studied and, most importantly, understood. And we've talked in the past about if if the Bible has a circular cyclical um, intent uh, regarding the purpose of the authors, but then it's introduced to people who take Instead of a circular compass, uh, they take a straight-line ruler or or a yardstick or something that's a straight-line, and you overlay the circular story with a straight-line grid to interpret a circular story. We concluded that it doesn't work. It's incongruent, and it makes the Scripture incoherent. In other words, it doesn't make sense. And again, this is not an inquiry of how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. If you're reading a story with a linear, straight-line, goal-oriented, systematic way of studying the Scripture, it is will end up in a different location than a circular construct. Circular construct, you have a beginning part of making that circle, and as you go around the circle, guess what? You end up in the same place, finally, where it originally began. In other words, it's called coming full circle. If you try to take a straight line and interpret how a circle is put together or what it looks like, people would look at you saying, "Um, I'm sorry, but this doesn't line up, and (laughs) you're talking a lot of things that are irrational and do not make sense. Yet we've tried to do that for the last 2,000 years, As we, uh, in Gentile land, um, after the late 3rd century or early 4th century, we broke away from our Hebrew foundations, our Hebrew roots, and thus we lost the Hebrew construct and the Hebrew um, flavor of the book, the Hebrew significance of the book. And so I asked the question, and God's got a problem on his hands, which uh, came out in 2003, If you start off on a journey and um, you don't identify the goal, you don't, uh, with precision, pick out the objective of why you're going on this journey, um, it's not going to end well. Because you're kind of (laughs) putting yourself into a situation where you're going to hear um, the response you missed the whole point of what the plan, the blueprint was all about. And I think I asked that in, in the introduction, and, and God's got a problem on his hands. I said, You know, if you were given a, a project by a teacher, or let's say a project on the job, and, and someone said, Okay, I want you to do A and B and C, and they lay it out, you know, what the, what the assignment is, okay? And you start off on that assignment, but you go in the opposite direction of what was described to you as the point or the goal of what the task was given to you for. You just went off on a different direction. And they said, well, we want you to, you know, reunify or reconnect or reconcile with this and this and this. And you just head off and end up on a kind of a wild goose chase because you didn't understand that maybe, or it was, you were told it wasn't, wasn't important. But for whatever reason, when you turn the assignment in, you're not going to hear well-done, good and faithful student from the teacher. Or you're not going to hear well-done, good and faithful employee by the supervisor or the employer. And so that's why we're asking these questions in this time and season and we want to engage people to think i mean the scripture says um in second corinthians i believe it's the last verse we have that's present tense we have the mind of christ and of course paul said that in in uh, answering some some hypothetical questions uh, that he was asking right before um and he was basically saying, "Who can know this, ine- uh, you know, ineffable God, this unknowable God? Who can know Him?" Talking about the Father. And after asking these questions, he then says, "But some Bibles say, however, we have the mind of Christ. We're supposed to engage our minds as we study Scripture and understand that context is critical when we read." any work of literature, and especially the inspired Word of God called the Bible. And so so here was a question that I asked last week, whether initial salvation, as we understand it, is a diploma or is it a scholarship? And I wanted you to take a look at Paul's writings when he has um, decided well, God decided for him. you're to bring this message of hope and the good news to the Gentile community, um, and you're supposed to make it understandable to them, even though you're a Pharisee. You're the from the tribe of Benjamin. You're a Jew amongst the Jews. You're educated. You've studied this, this book, and you make, need to make it understandable to a culture and a society that literally by uh, the middle part of the book of Acts is coming in. I'm talking about the Gentile flood of people. And who was going to explain um, what this Hebrew book was all about? By the way, the New Testament, with maybe one exception, the New Testament was all written by Jews. Do we understand that? I don't. Know, I don't know that we do. Sometimes I get really quizzical looks on people's faces when I said, "You know, you realize that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was Jewish, and that he followed all of the um, the Lord's um, feasts as." it was done according to Leviticus 23 and that he said he didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets rather he came to fulfill them we need to stop and discover what's that mean not just to read it as if we're skimming something and then just go on what Does that mean? So let's get back to Paul taught pretty clearly that we can't save ourselves by good works. Um, We are saved by grace through faith. Uh, The Hebrew Bible says we are saved by grace through trust. I think I I prefer the trust um, because it's a deeper heartfelt uh, emotion relational-based, more than just uh, faith in my head adding up facts and figures and uh, concluding through my rational Greek mind that, yeah, uh, God existed and I believe in him. It's not, it's not the Jewish way of approaching it. The Jewish way of approaching is to have a relationship with God. And so uh, when you read the Complete Jewish Bible, for example, by David uh, Stearns, Uh, Every time the word, I won't say every time, oftentimes the word for faith is substituted with another word, which is similar, but it's much more profound and deep. And it says, um, trust, we are saved by grace through trust in the Lord. Well, trust isn't me figuring out with my mind, uh, trying to figure out God. Trust is a heartfelt trust. Uh, issue a, and a heart connection that basically fits the definition of John seventeen three, which says, "What is eternal life? That they may know you, Father, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent." That's not know in a in a mental sort of way. It's know in a relational, trusting way. Leaning not unto our own understanding, but depend depending on God. So, so that pretty much is what people understand and what they're taught. We're saved by grace through faith. Grace being mercy, in this case unmerited favor, but also grace has another meaning. And grace means the, the presence of God. It's a much more broad word than just meaning what we've been taught, which is the mercy and the unmerited favor. It's way larger than that. But when we start to read Paul, we start to figure out that Paul um, isn't waiting for some ticket to go to a place. Paul's engaged in a lot of activity after he has his come-to-Jesus moment on the road to Damascus when he's knocked off his horse, and boy, is he given an eyeful and an earful um, when Jesus reveals himself to him and says, um, why are you persecuting me? So you know the story. Uh, he goes off for a while, and, and um, he has to kind of figure out what happened. And um, anyway, he eventually comes along and understands that what he is doing by persecuting um, those on the way, following um, Messiah Jesus, uh, was actually the complete opposite of what he should be doing for the balance of his life. We will pick this up on the other side of the break. And again, we're going to ask the question, what was Paul striving for? Wasn't he already saved after the road to Damascus? See you on the other side of the break. God bless you. Did you know that the Simple Truth Moment Show Features a website where you can access Previous podcasts of the Simple Truth Moment Show Also, previous radio shows, sermons, lectures Sponsored events, books, and publications Along with the blogs by the author and broadcaster Reverend Earl Clampett of the Simple Truth Moment Show Just type in www.simpletruthministries.net And click onto the media page And the book publications page You will learn so much more on how the kingdom of God ways are impacting our current Gentile church culture to rediscover our Hebrew covenant roots and God's blueprint plans to bring together both Jew and Gentile into one new humanity in Messiah Jesus and Father God. It will be a life-changing journey you will not soon forget. So type in www.simpletruthministries.net It's not .org, it's not .com, remember .net. God bless. Welcome back, saints. We are going to answer the question in this half of the show, is initial salvation more like a diploma, or is it more like a a scholarship? A scholarship that, with all expenses paid, in other words, it's a free gift. You can't earn the scholarship. It's given to us, somebody else paid uh, the price for the scholarship. But the question becomes, if, it's, if salvation, initial salvation, is more like a scholarship than a diploma, that means we have to study what the purpose of the scholarship includes. What's it for? And again, this, this is answering the questions, what do we save from, what do we save to, what do we save for? So let's get into this. Um, I want to ask a kind of paint a picture for you first. If if you are given a free ride scholarship, let's say to a university, and um, let's say it's medical school, and um, it was uh, through a government grant or through a NGO grant, and so um, you qualified for grades, etc. But but um, all the expenses, your books, your tuition, room and board, it's all taken care of. It's all been paid for ahead of time by someone else. Well, the idea of the scholarship is to produce you, on the other end of the study uh, time, the school investment time, uh, is to produce a qualified, trained, trained, physician, a qualified doctor who can perform all of the uh, requirements and tasks of a doctor, which is the healing arts, and uh, whether it's surgical or whether it's diagnostic or however the particular medical student selected what he wanted to go into, but the bottom line was a physician uh, would take the Hippocratic Oath, uh, which is primarily to do no harm, and to um, strive to better the condition of the particular patient who is suffering from an ailment, et cetera. Well, um, let's assume that this scholarship um, was to five different medical schools, and this particular student um, who received the scholarship Again, he didn't do it by his own works, but he did it because someone else paid the price. He um, he opted to, instead of going to a um, top-notch school in the Midwest, he thought, you know what, I think I'd rather go to Southern California or maybe even Hawaii, and I'll do my medical training there. Well, the good weather being what it is here in San Diego um, or even in Honolulu, He decides to take up um, a hobby uh, of, let's say, surfing. And the hobby becomes his passion. It becomes something that he really wants to do all of the time. So much so that he starts to, um, after matriculation, he starts to skip class, not attending the lectures. In fact, um, he's not reading the textbook. He's not going to the laboratory uh, sessions after the lectures. He basically is just getting involved with living the the good life of how not to go to class and how not to um, study, not to invest himself, not to um, sacrifice himself for what it's going to take, to get on the other end of the purpose of the scholarship, which is called a diploma. Can you imagine how silly this um, surfer who fell in love with um, the environs of Honolulu or the environs of San Diego? He's become an excellent, expert surfer, but he doesn't know a whole lot other than maybe putting a Band-Aid on on uh, medical things because he didn't go to class. He didn't attend the lectures. He didn't participate in the labs, and he didn't even read the textbooks. The cellophane wrapping on the new textbooks is still there. And here comes graduation day. And everyone's dressed up in their caps and gowns and you have, you know, the little tassels on your on the hat that you want to move from one side to the other to show that you've graduated. And Here is this scholarship um, medical student, and what he shows up with in his hand is a rolled-up scholarship when it was initially granted to him way back in uh, four years earlier um, when he was given the scholarship. But everybody else there did do the work, did participate, Became qualified as physicians because they attended the labs, they attended the lectures, they spent late nights in the library reading the textbooks, trying to understand biochemistry and everything else you have to take as a pre med student and above. And they're waiting for something not called a scholarship. They're waiting for something which acknowledges the fact that they participated. They rolled up their sleeves and jumped in there. In their where? In the university's system of education. It was not something that was going to be through some sort of osmosis knowledge that was going to be imparted into, into this scholarship candidate. No, he had or she had to um, jump in with both feet because everyone knows that pre-med students and medical students, they excuse me spend a long time and several <laughs> late nights in the libraries studying, preparing, because it's a tough way to go. Well, <clears throat> what would happen if he shows up with um, a request to have a graduation gown and wears his hat with the tassel and he wants to uh, uh, basically waive his scholarship so everybody in the audience can know that he thinks he should be also granted a diploma. Well, you can imagine what the reaction of the um, the school faculty and those who run the school would have an opinion on this, and saying, you aren't supposed to be here because you didn't participate, you didn't matriculate, you didn't, in essence, do the required studies to make the transition from a scholarship student to a diploma graduate. So you don't get to wear the cap and gown. You don't get to move the tassel from one side of the of the cap to the other. You don't get to have that rolled up parchment that says diploma with the recognition that you did do the work that was required. So let's look at some verses here that might make you think a little bit differently about what you've been taught about what initial salvation is. Because what I would always say when I taught um, the inmates, the jail inmates down in uh, George Bench- Bailey's detention facility, um, I'd say, you know, the Church teaches that when we are saved, it's basically somewhat of a formula um, along the lines of Romans 10, 9, and 10, and you save the four spiritual laws, and then you um, say the sinner's prayer, and maybe you at- attended in, in the past uh, a Billy Graham crusade, tent, tent crusade, evangelical outreach, and um, basically you checked all the boxes, and you had your ticket to ride, and you're just waiting to die because eternal life was explained to you that uh, it was a location called heaven, and you were going to go there And that was the goal. So let's see if the verses that Paul's going to talk about make sense in light of what is our generalized understanding of what initial salvation is. So take a look at Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. I'm going to be reading these out of um, the New King James. And Paul says here, he said that, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, For it is God who works in, in you, both to will and to do, for His good pleasure. So, there's a lot of um, denominations that believe that you know once saved always saved, and you know you did the the requisites that we talked about earlier, checking all the boxes. And here's Paul saying, um, "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." Well, what's what's the point of, of that? It would make no sense if we just did all the formulaic, you know, find a formula, and then you just check all the boxes and say, I've done all of that. I want to read the same verse to you out of the Complete Jewish Bible, looking at, uh, this is the Complete Jewish Study Bible by David Stearns, and I'm going to look at the same verse, Philippians 2. Starting at verse twelve, so my dear friends, this is Paul writing to the church at the Philippi. Just as you has have always obeyed, and when I was with you, it is even more important that you obey now when I'm away from you. Keep working out your deliverance with fear and trembling. Now, oftentimes you'll, if you read um, and compare and contrast. Uh, the Jewish Bible, with the Bibles that we typically read as um, Gentiles, oftentimes the word salvation is substituted by the word deliverance. So all of a sudden, deliverance is an aspect that we really weren't earlier thinking about because we just thought it was a transportation method of checking a box, saying a formula, and then all of a sudden, um, we had a ticket to ride when we pass away. Well, if you say keep working out your deliverance with fear and trembling, that sounds like a process. Did Jesus come just to save us, to transport us, or did he come to deliver us from something called the power of Satan? And somebody might be saying, where are you getting that? Check out um over in Acts chapter twenty six when Paul is brought before King Agrippa, and um King Agrippa is very um curious as to why Paul uh we become a follower of this of this Jewish Messiah uh whose message has now gone out to the Gentile church and the Gentile I'm sorry, the Gentile community, and the Gentiles are coming in. Uh, in vast, um, huge numbers. And uh, Agrippa, King Agrippa, um, wants to know why he made such a transition, he being Paul, from a persecutor of the people in this community verse, uh, over to a supporter. So let me just pick it up in verse 12 of Acts 26. And this is Paul um Explaining to King Agrippa um, what happened. So he was explaining that um, he was persecuting those uh, people of the way, as they call themselves, those believers of Jesus. And Paul said in verse 11 of Acts 26, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them uh, even to foreign cities, uh, Verse um, that was 11. Verse 12, while thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, verse 13, at midday, O king, again, he's talking to King Agrippa, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 15, and so I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Verse 16, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Verse 18, here it is. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Let's go back to this verse eighteen to open their eyes to uh, in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. We need deliverance because before we get to have a saving relational faith trust like experience with the Lord Jesus We are under and operate by the power of Satan. So when someone gets delivered from addictions or from um, all of the other ailments and sin uh, that has control over our lives, then we can understand that someone has power over us. And it's a kingdom, not of God, but it's the kingdom of, it's the government of Satan. And so when the Jews use the word deliverance instead of salvation, that is something that is a practical, uh, liberating, uh, freeing, F-R-E-E-I-N-G, up of the individual away from this um, kingdom of control, of deception, of um, basically bondage and being set free or delivered from that power of that kingdom of darkness. So, let's take a look at the next chapter in Philippians. So we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But does that make sense if it's just a, a ticket to, to go to heaven when we die? I mean, didn't didn't Jesus do it all? What's Paul talking about? Why would we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Well, let's take a look at the same book. Let's go to Ephesians 3, and let's go over to verse 8. And Paul writes to the church at Philippi, Yet I indeed also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of, of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Are we ever taught this? That maybe um, salvation is more like a scholarship and not a diploma, because um, the whole point of salvation, of deliverance, is to get to have eternal life, which is knowing Father God? In John. Chapter 17, verse 3, and his son, Jesus Christ. Check out this verse. I'll read it again. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. That has nothing to do with dying and going to heaven. Now look at the verse, uh, verse 9, also in Philippians 3. And to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Okay, to what end? To what point? Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of of his sufferings being conformed to his death so let's stop right there in verse 10 paul saying i was saved in order that i might know christ relationally deeply personally intimately profoundly it's a relationship what is Paul pursuing? Could we say Paul is pursuing something called eternal life? Again, I, let's go back to John seventeen three, where eternal life is defined. we keep got to go back to that basic verse. John seventeen three, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God. This is Jesus praying to his father the night before he dies in front of the 12 apostles that they may know you, K-N-O-W, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Well, what is verse 10 of chapter 3 in Philippians? What's Paul saying? I count all things as loss, all things as rubbish that I may gain Christ. That was in verse 8. And in verse 10, he says that I may know him. So could we say, Logically from these verses that Paul's pursuing something called eternal life, which is relational based and not locational based. In other words, dying and going to a location isn't eternal life that we were like as if we were taught. Just die, go to heaven, get up there, and that's eternal life. I'm sorry. Eternal life is knowing. Father God and the Son whom he sent. That's John seventeen three. Look what Paul's saying here in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3. That I may know him. I'm counting all things as, as rubbish. That I may gain Christ in verse 8. That I may know him in verse 10. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. All right. So Paul's pursuing something called eternal life, and that only happens after the scholarship of initial salvation. In other words, a scholarship is a gift of an opportunity. That medical student that we talked about earlier, he had a medical, he had an opportunity, an educational chance to become a doctor and edu- to become a, a, a physician. So a scholarship in that particular student's case was the gift, it was a free gift, you can't earn it by works, to gain something else, which was the point of the scholarship, the purpose of the scholarship, which was he was to become a trained physician. Paul saying the initial salvation that I experienced, which was him getting knocked off his horse, and that's what he he was explaining to King Agrippa, And his assignment, but he said, I need to know this Christ who loves me so much that he interrupted and blockaded my program of rebellion against him, and he did it because of love. He died for me to reconcile me back to my father, crossing the bridge of blood of Christ to the father. Now look at the next one. If by, This is verse 11 on Philippians 3. If by any means, here it is another goal, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus has also laid hold of me. What does laying hold of eternal life signify? Because if it was just, I receive a ticket once I say the you know the four spiritual laws in Romans 10, 9, and 10, and I'm just waiting to die and go to a place called heaven, and that's what eternal life is, that's not what Paul's saying. Eternal life is knowing, giving up everything, and knowing Christ through grace, by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Wow. We need to expand and explore this. If eternal life is knowing God relationally and not just dying and going to a place, that changes everything. Hope you have a ton of Simple Truth Moments. God bless you. See you next week. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's simple truth moments. For more information and resources, visit Simple That's Simple To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at Earl Simple Truth at Gmail.com. That's Earl Simple Truth at Gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal is simple truth moments to you. You've been listening to simple truth moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K Praise. Did you know that the Simple Truth Moment Show features a website where you can access previous podcasts of the Simple Truth Moment Show? Also, previous radio shows, sermons, lectures, sponsored events, books, and publications, along with the blogs by the author and broadcaster, Reverend Earl Clampett of the Simple Truth Moment Show. Just type in www.simpletruthministries.net and click onto the media page and the book publications page. You will learn so much more on how the kingdom of God ways are impacting our current Gentile church culture to rediscover our Hebrew covenant roots and God's blueprint plans to bring together both Jew and Gentile into one new humanity in Messiah Jesus and Father God. It will be a life-changing journey you will not soon forget. So type in www.simpletruthministries.net It's not .org, it's not .com, remember .net. God
0: bless.